I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. Yeah, so we have Daniel Zarek on the pod with us today. Hey, Z- hey Daniel. Hey, hey Noah, Ben. It's nice to meet you guys finally, like instead of just Twitter. Yeah, yeah. same. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It's like there's the the Twitter bubble of, you know, different founders and stuff. And you start to like really like get to know people, which is which is cool. But it's like you don't really know them. So it's kind of like this weird relationship. So, yeah, it's always great to be able to get on a meeting, get on a podcast and actually talk things out. So, yeah, we're glad to have you on here. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. And also congrats on 100 episodes. It's really cool. Yeah. I was uploading our 43rd the other day and I was like, oh, my God, 100 so far. So good job well, 43 that's <laughs> that's pretty good that's really good too you, you'll be there very soon yeah one more year um yeah so daniel you're the the founder of arrows at arrows.2 and then you also have a, a podcast that i listen to every week called keep going oh, um so thank that's, you. that's a fun podcast yeah yeah I, it's, it's i knew you listen sometimes but i didn't know you did all the time that's awesome um yeah, it's funny you said arrows.2 because also some people say T, like we say arrows.to, some people say two. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, whatever works, I guess. Um, but yeah, so arrows, yeah, I probably want to hear more about that. Um, so it's kind of like customer onboarding. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing, you know, it's more for like B2B, like bigger businesses that are trying to onboard customers that have like, have bigger customers that need like more touch along the way on the on- onboarding process. Is that right? Part of that is correct. So, so user onboarding is one of those things where, especially like indie hacker folks or, you know, entrepreneurs in general that they don't really have to be indie, but you know, people who build products, like we think user onboarding and we generally think, you know, tool tips or things that guide you through the UI of your software, or we think about, you know, something like customer IO or user list that sends you like drip campaigns. There's like a larger category of user onboarding software that is, we, we say it helps organizations with uh, like change management, which is such like an enterprise corporate word, but like it's organizational change. So like when you buy, when you're an organization, you're buying a larger piece of software or something that requires more steps or more thought to how you roll it out. Like a lot of our customers sell to, or a few of our customers sell to like universities. And it's like, well, there's five different teams there. There's an IT team, a design team, and there's bureaucracy. And it takes three months to roll out that software. There's a lot of like coordination and almost like project management that goes into that. So we have like a lot of that sort of category of people. But the thing with Arrows is it extends outside the scope of your software that you're selling. So like, it's not really just about learning how to do something in the UI of the software, or which actions to take. It's like, what decisions do you have to make as an organization? Like, what KPIs do you care about this software affecting? You all should have a meeting about that, decide that, so we know we're on the same page and actually can help you like reach that outcome. So we say like all the time, the singular goal for Arrows is to help people help your customer know what they need to do and when they need to do it, and that is outside of the scope of the software. It's like, what do they need to do to reach the outcome for which they bought your product? And you know, a lot of us are building like simpler tools that are very simpler in the way of, I mean, how you interact with them, not simple on how they're built, but like they're easier to kind of self-learn and their customers are generally self-learning people. But yeah, a lot of, we, we sell and a lot of our companies are startups, but they are selling to companies who, um, you know, where the process is larger. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. So how did you kind of come about this, this idea? And, and when did you guys start working on it? So we started working, this is crazy, started working on something called arrows almost three years ago. Oh, wow. But this, yeah, like, um, so I started working on about three years ago. I had the early ideas for like a little over that. I wanted to build a uh, CRM for my, like, I ran a design studio myself and had a bunch of projects I built over the years, like all of us. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm very relationship driven and human. Like I want to do a lot of cold outreach or just stay in touch with people. And, you know, I wanted my little lightweight CRM, sort of like high rise, but not, I wanted like the 2019 version of that, 2018 version of that. And my friend Nate, in Chicago was the one that had been hired to run high rise at base camp or 37 signals. And I knew that it was like probably going to end soon. And I had been like, it's not really what I want. So I'm going to go build something like this myself. And I called it standard process. Cause there was a whole, like, I like the idea of like general electric or standard oil or one of those sort of like kind of goofy <laughs> old names. Um, and I just called it that. And I was like, well, the whole thing here is that you run a standard process, like, and there's, you know, almost like a process tool in there, but I'll just, think about humans um, and how I want to reach out to them. Either way, a lot of dabbling with that and Benedict joined me at one point. We started calling it Arrows and we dabbled with different like sales tools and other things like that part failed, but then we iterated on other ideas and failed a bunch until like really had very middling to little or no success. Just like, oh, we built some things or we put landing pages up and tried selling them to people and just were flailing for probably a year and a half until we realized we needed to just start over and start from scratch and take off our like product minded brain. So like the longer story is I was the second product manager at Twilio and I worked on internal tools and I had a lot of like ideas from internal tools we'd built there. Like, oh, I know that this was valuable for us or I wanted to build this here. So we tried those things, but we just weren't really building them for an audience and we just kept failing. But I kept like having that like, oh, I have an idea. Let me go like see if people will buy it instead of trying to figure out who the people were that we wanted to serve and what they might need. And then, then deciding what we should build for them and see if they would buy it. So, oh yeah, a little over a year and a half ago, we were um, like, we're screwing up so bad. We got to start over. <laughs> and uh, so we went to like blank slate, like, okay, well, we have no ideas, like turn off the idea brain. All we're doing is customer research. And I don't know. Am I going into too much detail too quickly? No, no, but I no, can ramble about this forever. No, that's yeah. what we want. Yeah. So I, I think this part of the, the we've tried to like reaching back to this moment in time is like if if you came in and like deleted the arrows code base and took all of our VC funding away and I had to start over from scratch tomorrow, like we would do this process again. So we basically said, who do we want to serve? Like who have we been talking to that like have clicked with our worldview or clicked with our personalities that we really liked and that we'd be happy to like have as customers. And typically it was like either agency people because and, and then the other side of that was who do we have an unfair advantage in reaching? Like I was thinking about this in your, your all's 100 episode thing. Like we, we, a lot of us know other founders. We know other business owners. Like if you have that, then lean on that, you know, or a lot of people who work at as software engineers at companies, like lean on that relationship mm -hmm. to get access to those companies. If you know a lot of people who, you know, are involved in some other type of business, you should probably lean on that if you can. So we found that unfair advantage and we said, okay, let's just go talk to as many like 
agency founders and startup founders. And then the other group was customer success people. We really clicked with a lot of customer success people, like in the other failed ideas. They were the ones who were like, oh, this is really interesting. They never like became customers, but they were like interested in how we were approaching things. And we realized that they were a unique group. And, um, you know, they were a group of people that we were excited to like partner with or like serve, if that makes sense. And then we also realized that they were generally underserved by their own companies, like their engineering teams and their product teams didn't really give them a lot of attention, but it's also this like very important role. So customer success is like more proactive. They like drive, you know, in a subscription-based billing relationship, like a customer sticking around. Noah, you were tweeting about churn the other day, right? Mm -hmm. Like a customer sticking around is important because if they cancel in nine months versus three years, like that's a very meaningful amount of revenue. And so yeah. customer success is the thing that like usually drives that a lot of these companies. And they also are the one that drives expansion revenue. And so all these companies that are big or growing like want, you know, net negative retention, they want, you know, their customers growing over time with their spending. So we're like, wait, there's this giant, like money making little team that is underserved and who's very friendly and they love sharing their knowledge and they like when people pay attention to them because they feel like they're just friendly people and they're relationship driven. They're not like sales. They're not like, you know, blasting emails out. They're actually like very invested in, yeah, yeah, they're invested in the success of their customers. It's their, and their job title. So we're like, great, let's go talk to those people. And that's how we started discovering it. We just went like, we went had a whole process laid out. We read the mom test and all these other things. And we're like, yeah, classic book on these sort of podcasts. Like, how did you find your idea? Well, I read the mom test. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. But um, yeah, like we just had a whole process we worked through. Like we talked to like 40 companies and then started, you know, seeing that this was a common thing. But, you know, we could talk about that too. Like what we did in that, if you want. That was super yeah, interesting to awesome. see how you actually landed on, like how you navigated the whole process, I would say. And so next step was, you know, just you basically had your idea and you started dabbling at it with just the two of you, right? Mm-hmm. And then something happened and all of a sudden you, you're now leading a team, you took funding. What <laughs> yeah. what happened in, in the in-between? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's really, so that was like a little over a year and a half ago. I was actually in Berlin when we started talking to customers. So I was in Germany been, and um, <laughs> I was like around the world and Benedict was here in the US and I was just traveling and we're like, talking to customers and we we were for all intents and purposes until this April of 2021 we were fully set on bootstrapping we thought maybe at some point we would consider taking like a small angel round and you know something like we even considered tiny seed we talked to them we talked to Tyler from Ernest Calm Capital whatever yeah Calm Capital now um is that what it is? It Calm Capital? Is it? Yeah, it's Calm yeah. Company Fund. Yeah. Calm Company Fund. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, we talked to them, but it just none of the approaches really clicked for us. They didn't really match with like. <laughs> they're, they're basically we the whole time we were self funding and bootstrapping. We had a large ambition of what we thought we could do with arrows, but it was still, we have to survive long enough to get there, and what we realized, is one, it was hard you know like we're serving a customer type that like has a high expectation of what they want out of this product and that's hard now when there's a lot of SaaS out there and you're competing with all these companies like you have to um, really build a lot to you know provide for them it takes a lot of iteration so like 
there's no question that we're building something that people want and we're building something that like is in a very large market and category but what exactly those people need and want that makes it like take off is taking more time um so that was one part of it the other part of it we started looking around at like well what are like the really good bootstrapped companies and also you have to kind of consider that over time like Basecamp cannot be created now like as much as jason and david think it could like it could not be created now in the way that they did it you don't just like have a blog with 2000 readers and post it like you actually have to do some marketing and sales and seo and all the stuff that they hate doing um even something like eight or ten years ago is a lot hard you know that started is a lot harder to start now like you have to do it differently so we looked around and we kind of came up with what we thought of as a loose rubric of what made sense and so like potion for example i think is probably a very good like there's a giant notion is a giant thing and tools and things that are in that ecosystem there's a giant group of users and people are looking for things and they're doing activities like you can carve out a very great business related to that giant thing and it's only going to keep growing and there's more people looking for tools etc like add-ons for stripe whatever there's all these things now you could probably go make a crm like there's a big category people look for CRMs and they will go try HubSpot, they'll go try Salesforce, and then they'll bounce off and they'll go look for something that's like more how they approach things, or they'll go look for something that fits their niche maybe. What we realized is there, you know, ConvertKit's another good example. People go try MailChimp, they're frustrated, it doesn't fit how they run their business, so you can go create ConvertKit. So there's like an existing category that's defined and people that are looking for stuff there already. What we realized or became more and more clear over time is this sort of user onboarding thing. It might not even be what we call it in a year or two. Like we're in a new category that's kind of being formed and shaped already, but it's not there yet. So there's no, there's no MailChimp or Salesforce of our category. And to do that, we, to bootstrap, we would just have to like sit around for a really long time and grow very slowly, or we have to be one that helps like forge that category. Um, and then in let's say five years, somebody can go make the convert kit to hopefully our MailChimp. You know, like that's, we, we there will be room when people like us and our competitors go create the category, put some terms around it, help educate customers that there's more to look for and do here. There are customers looking, but they're just, they don't know what to look for and they don't know it's, there's the problem is there, but they're still figuring it out. So we're like educating and creating the market at the same time as like building the product that they want. And then that's yeah. the sort of situation where we were like, if we go raise 500 grand, we're going to feel like we didn't have enough. And we go raise a million, we're still going to feel like we don't have enough. And even with 2.75 million that we raised, I'm like, whew, maybe we should have raised four. You know, <laughs> like at times I'm like, oh, maybe we should have had more, <laughs> even though we're totally yeah. fine. Like we have over two years of runway, but it, yeah. Yeah. So you, so you basically you feel like you found something where you could be kind of like the first mover and have that advantage and you know to do that you you kind of just need to move faster so you can kind of take that opportunity that's already there and you know the best way to do that that we, that we have you know systems that we kind of have set up is you know go raise money hire more people move quick and so that's kind of what you what you guys decide to do yeah in some ways move faster in some ways have more time to experiment and test and and to survive for long enough and to build the right thing that the customers want so me and benedict alone like me be on customer calls and be like hey i want the co-founders like do you want to buy from our two-person 
shop, like this very critical piece of software that you put in front of your customers, they're like, are you going to be around in a year? Like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like, that's a risk with venture funded companies, too, that they die. But it's a little bit different when they're like, oh, you have a team of seven and you're funded by one of Google's venture firms. You know, like they yeah. their perception of you is very different. And like already we have a salesperson and she goes on sales calls now and I don't and I get pulled in and the perception that people have of arrows, even though very little in the product has changed in the last few months is different. They're just like, look at us. Oh, this is more of a grown up. Like there's momentum here that like isn't as necessary when you're, you know, building a different type of product. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny uh, listening to the pod because, you know, yeah. The the picture I had of, of you guys is like, oh, yeah, just two guys kind of bootstrapping, making this like small company that's, you know, they're trying to make a, you know, a small profitable company. And then like the next thing you know, the next episode, you're like, we raised 2.75 million and we're like, <laughs> doing this huge. I was like, wait, what? We were <laughs> very a, a twist. I think I mentioned it once on the pod before that I had been we would talk about it and then I would try to mention it on the podcast. But it was like a hard it was on my mind more than Benedict's mind. He is somebody who compartmentalize the stuff very well um he's german mm-hmm. <laughs> um and he uh, <laughs> and so he's like makes a decision he's like i won't think about this for two more months you know whereas i'm like thinking about stuff all the time like oh should we raise money should we do this should we build that mm-hmm. but so yeah i think it was something we were always considering and there's a lot of threads in there like i was always trying to hold on to like am i holding on to this idea of being a bootstrapper, self-funded person, which I've done since I left Twilio for like, like I, I got a salary now that we raise money and it was the first time in over eight years that I like had something paying myself regularly. Like I was, <laughs> I was doing consulting revenue and stuff like that for years. So I was like, no, I self-fund stuff like this. And I was holding on to that identity a lot and I didn't want to, I think I was very hesitant to move away from that or to like I had a pride in like doing everything myself. Like I grew up playing in punk bands and booking shows and like, you know, it's very DIY. And then, so it took a while to get out of that. But I think for us having the framework for why Arrows needed it, yes, it was helpful for us and it gave us some more breathing room. And now it's nice to have a salary again and not like be in a scarcity mindset. Like we're not in survival mode. I get to like choose what we should build right now for our customers, not choose what will like make sure I can pay our bills in a few months. So it's been very helpful in that way, but we made the decision for like, what does arrows need? And what does arrow, like what do arrows customers want us to be? Like they want us to be a bigger company that's serving them on a larger scale. And I think that changed over the time of building it. Like we thought it was a simple onboarding checklist. And then we realized by talking to people and learning about what people wanted, like, no, we're actually building like the thing we say a lot is, so right now it's an onboarding tool, but we say two things like onboarding never ends. So it's like a continuous thing you do throughout the entire customer life cycle. Like people change their relationship or their goals or the things they want out of your software or their, you know, their team changes and new head of marketing comes in and they're thinking about ripping out this tool, but it's like, that's a new chance for onboarding. So arrows is more of a customer life cycle tool. Like we look at it as we have the capability or the possibility to build everything post sale. So like Salesforce, but for everything after somebody buys. Um, Mm. And there's a really interesting thing there. And like the onboarding checklist sort of stuff that we do now is one component of that if we go build that. And I think by understanding the customer more and what they, the value they apply to arrows, which is, oh, this drives revenue, this drives retention, not this is a 
you know, like an internal productivity tool, like that is just a small replacement for a spreadsheet. Like that change helped us realize, oh, this is something that is likely to be very big with the idea that also the market was new. Like we had to actually go build it. We, if we were like, you know, like there's a, there's a world in five years where we built the same thing and we built the opinionated version of arrows that we did the first time around that people really love and it takes off because arrows gets too complicated and like maybe like we would have just stayed bootstrapped but we realized that the company needed it and i think we were open to and inclined to like go do that there were other reasons like personally why we thought we could do it but yeah it's a pretty good reason though to like you know you're, you you went at the problem pretty open-minded and then you realize hey it's it's actually bigger than you thought and it makes it just makes sense to take on like this thing with more money mm -hmm. it's a pretty good reason i think to to actually go the funding road yeah Every now and then it's, it's crazy. Like the thing that is so silly is yes, we need the money, but like there's all these unintended effects of having all these people in our corner too. Like I, so I worked at Twilio and the CEO of Twilio hired me now, 10 years later, he's a big deal. Um, there were 23 <laughs> people and he hired me and it's like, oh, having him on our, you know, people are like, oh, cool. Like, or, yeah, yeah. you know, Google's venture firm or oh, well, why would I use Trello instead of this? And I say, well, the CEO of Trello is an angel investor in arrows. I think he would like you know, understand why like this is a different tool for a different purpose. And and so we have all these nice situations and those people refer us to customers sometimes. Like it's not the biggest reason, but we can lean on them a lot more and, and they actually do provide some legitimacy and other things that are um, important. But also now we're seven people total. So me, Benedict and five people, and we're not the only ones building the product and there's a lot of stuff to build. and we have a customer success person and a salesperson and all these other things that are happening now. So it's, it's just, it, it doesn't get easier. It's, I, I keep saying like, it, I don't have less work. There's just more work going on is really the thing. So if anything, I have a little bit more work, but it is more fun for me right now because I, it did feel like it's such an uphill slog for a long time. I mean, the eight years and then arrows being part of that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So I'm, I'm curious, because uh, you've been now kind of on both sides of this, of, you know, you were bootstrapping, now you've, you've gone the kind of the venture route. And for whatever reason, I feel like, you know, I feel like the bootstrap crowd kind of has like cycles of like talking about this debate. And then like, yeah. for whatever reason, in the next well, recent months, I feel it like bootstrappers again. are talking about it again. And it's like, bootstrap first, venture and all this stuff. I, I don't know if it's... Um, Maybe it has something to do with Andrew Gusecki with Mike McGuire, like shots fired at the, the venture. Well, yeah, you have to have like a big, um, a big enemy that you, sh you know, shout at to like get attention. Right, right. right. Yeah. So yeah, it's just kind of funny because it seems like those debates are, are popping back up. So I'm just curious, like now that you've been on both sides, like what is, what is your thoughts about that uh, debate and the di the differences? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, there's a lot of things to say. I think one is like I'm just as critical of like the venture ecosystem and things as anybody, both indiv as individuals and the ecosystem at, at like writ large, um, and certain funds. And there, there's a lot we can actually talk about there. I think that's pretty interesting. I think mostly none of it matters. Like none of it matters at all. It's just like um, you know what is right for you and what is right for your business and what is right for you both in terms of the lifestyle you want but also what is right for you in terms of what you want to become or what you want you know what skills or what do you want to get good at you know 
if you want to just stay building product and like get really good at that, then, you know, focus on that. If you want to like get really good at like trying to build a business that is like of a different scale and type, it's not better or worse. It's just a different skill. Like it's like, it's annoying to say, but this, this is going to be an eye roll sort of statement, but like, it's like, do you want to try to go to professional sports? It's like, okay, you might like playing pickup basketball, but if you want to try to like, it's harder or a different type of work and you have to probably get help like outside help to get into like professional basketball. And it's not, you know, I would, there's no value judgment in there that like professional is more important or more useful or anything than pick up basketball. It's just like, what do you want out of your life? What gives you more enjoyment or drive or something? And then also like within that is like, what are your natural characteristics? Like is the idea or the thing you're working on something that necessitates or could benefit from having outside funding and then you know or is it something that could actually and should actually be totally self-funded and there's a lot of like things i think you need to like decide individually to go down that route and then if you decide the whole other part that gets exhausting i don't think a lot of people think about if you do do outside funding what type like if you're far enough along maybe you do debt financing maybe you do a tiny seed or you know calm capital fund type thing or maybe you actually go do an angel round more traditionally, or you maybe go straight to VC like we did. There's a lot of different routes, but I think understanding them, like learning what they mean and how they work is like probably the first step <laughs> and then deciding and like, and like, I think that's one thing I'll say about generally what I see. And, and I think there's a lot of naivety and, and um, confusion on the venture capital funded side around like how non those things work or how like blessed or whatever we are but i think a lot of bootstrappers self-funded people i do think are afraid of learning about these things a bit like they're like afraid of getting good at like the finance or business side we want to ignore it and act like it's scary or bad instead of just trying to understand it as like just another tool for our businesses if we want to use it but we don't have to necessarily like there is bad funding and there are bad investors and there are investors who maybe push you to do things that you don't want to, but there are also tons of really, really, really great partners. And that's like most of the funding ecosystem is very in the founder's favor. doesn't mean it's easy. Like I have a lot of friends who are having a hard time raising money. Um, even though they have really great businesses, a lot of that stuff is like luck or timing or whatever. Like we had a lot of waves at our back that helped us raise. We raised very easily. Um, and a you know a decade I think of connections and other stuff, but it is something that isn't so scary if you just learn and talk to some people. Um, and I think it's a very viable route that doesn't actually block off so many options or routes that we might think it does. It's just how far down you go into that path is where it gets like more limiting. So for example, if we want to say we raised two point seven five million dollars. I can't say the valuation though I would love to. <laughs> um, it's but it's good. It's like a healthy seed stage venture funded type valuation. It's big. It's both very big and very small for the the progress of and I I have like thoughts around that. Like <laughs> um you, you would most bootstrappers would be like, "Oh my god, how is Arrows worth that?" And then the other side of me is like, "Well, if you think Arrows is possibly worth billions of dollars, then you would think that was very small." But it depends, you know, it's like the option that it might be worth that. But so that $2.75 million is raised on um, a safe note, which is like Y Combinator standard, like seed funding yeah. docs. So our investors don't technically own equity yet. Like we are, we have no board members. It's just me and Benedict 
And, um, you know, like we are in full control of the company. We can decide to raise more money if we want to. We can decide not to. Odds are we're going to at some point. But like we could do what Zapier did and like never raise money again. If we just really make a great revenue machine and don't need to, like we could just do that and then like maintain this for a long time. So I think the seed stage funding part specifically for indies, hackers, bootstrappers now is so in the founder's favor and so flexible. Um, you can really do a lot there if you decide you need a few hundred grand or a few million to make, you know, to add some flexibility or something to what you need to do on what time scale and find people that are willing to support you in that. Like there's a lot of flexibility in there to, to not feel like you're taking options off the table. Um, you do have to consider other people. Like it's harder to, if we were very profitable and made 10 million this year, I couldn't just like go give me a Benedict 5 million each or whatever. Like, you know, there's more stuff in there. It does add limitations, but really we were already communicating to people like regularly, like our advisors and people, what we were doing. We were already in this mechanism of like structuring it, like as if other people were involved. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like how you, you talked about that. Like, I think, you know, there's businesses that it more so makes sense to go the venture out. And then there's businesses where it doesn't make much sense to get it. And then there's, you know, probably a big group of businesses where you could kind of go either way. It's kind of just like how the, the founder prefers mm -hmm. to do it. Um, but then also like what you're saying, like it does seem like, uh, like going and raising money, like it just continues to get more like founder friendly. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that's because a lot of the people putting the money in are, were founders at one point and it just more and more so that probably is becoming true i would guess that the people that become the next uh, generation of investors were founders and so yeah it's and, part and then, that it's part there's so much money like there's so much yeah. money out there right now so like how does gradient ventures our firm that we worked with get our attention over another one when we have multiple options they want to be a good partner now they're not going to do something reckless like but there's a there we found a fair deal and they just know at this stage like it's helpful to like be friendly to us but i mean if you, the economics of it so there's this thing called pro rata like usually seed stage firms are like investing with pro rata that means they have the option to maintain that percent of ownership forever like in, until like there's an event an exit event or something so essentially what's happening is they can be very friendly up front because they get to maintain like think about having the option to own 15 percent of shopify or 20 percent of shopify but you put in two million dollars at a seed stage but you get to maintain and add more money over time at that same ownership um mm. like that's part of the mechanism of it like the it's part yes they're nice people and they're like it is more beneficial to play the long game and like to bet on founders like that's generally a good thing like founders are are great and you want to bet on them but at the same time, like there's a reason for like, well, like 10 years ago, there was not a trillion dollar company. Now there's multiple trillion dollar companies and Shopify is worth $200 billion or whatever. Twilio is worth 60. And when I left, I was like, they'll be worth like 3 billion, you know? And it's like these companies that are growing are getting so big. And so venture capital firms, at least in that scale are like, funding to have the option at a very large company now that these companies are going big now the angel investors the other side like their incentives are different there's different types of them some want to make a return some are very successful founders that just want to like 
they like talking to people like us and they want to hang around like people have more energy than they used to have or they just like it's fun they want to give back like there's lots of different things there but usually the people who are defining the terms are like the firms mm -hmm. yeah that's that's good um so one of the things that i well i i guess that probably makes me kind of sh try to shy away from like the venture world. So I, I tried to go raise money for one of my last startups. And um, one of the things that I kind of felt through that, which made me kind of go now on this indie hacker route is just basically like the pressure of like having to build a huge business. Um, yeah. And and so how, how have you felt around that? Like, do you feel like there's more pressure now with arrows that like, okay, we got to make this thing, got to make this thing big. Um, and, and how does that, yeah, how does that make you feel about it? Uh, yes and no. Yes, there is, but it's it's uh, from me and Benedict. Like, our goal was to, like, we made that decision, you know, and then we raised money, and those people bought into that vision that I painted to them of this is how Eros could be big. So people are all bought in on, like, that being the goal. Um so there's pressure but it's like not really pressure nobody's like emailing us or telling us on calls that we need to do this or that but it if we have questions it's under that framing that like the, we are trying to build a big thing now the good thing like back to that because we've only raised a seed round like we still have the option that like maybe we screw up on the big vision route and we just end up building like um, you know, a more sustainable business. Like we can still do that and we can run that or we, whatever. We have lots of options if that's like where we end up, but we are testing and trying to build towards like a big vision. So when I've approached it, like, you know, we, I think we have the fortunate, fortunate benefit, or we're in the fortunate situation of building arrows for like over a year or this iteration of it, this idea of it for long enough that we had some revenue, we had customers, we had launched in the market, like we were in conversations with competitors, like so investors heard about us, I think. And so we were able to, you know, kind of go into the process further along, um, like with more confidence, I guess, like more intentionality. And so that's like when we think about, oh, do we raise more money again in the future? I'm trying to approach it very intentionally, like, well, what does this unlock? Like, what do we spend it on? Um, why would we do that? Like, are we on the trajectory or the path where that makes sense? Or will that like take options off the table that we might actually want later? And, um, you know, again, like I'm saying, odds are we will do it because I think we're doing well and are building something great. But like, if we get to that point where it's risky, like then we, we can like remove that. But I think it's not until later rounds of funding where you start having a board and you start having more investors and more people um, involved where that stuff gets challenging and maybe my feelings will be very different like i haven't got to that point yet but my belief now is that like generally the founders are very much in charge and like that's a skill like thinking about building a great product or building up like a marketing function that's very good like building up like a company and being a founder that runs a funded company is a skill that you develop you know so like how do you deal with investors and make sure they are bought in on your vision and like you're communicating mm -hmm. well with them and that they're partners of yours not um adversaries you know like they are bought in to the outcome so that's something you do and get better at over time and so like that's how i approach it is like well if we're going to do that like i'm going to try to be very good at that side of it because it's not annoying it's actually just part of the fun you know it's fun to figure that out and try to get better at that
Yeah. 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 Some new challenges, um, but things that you can, can be good at and grow with and, and kind of grow mm-hmm. with the company as, as it grows. Um, so, I, I mean, I would imagine that your role has kind of shifted since kind of <laughs> yeah. taking on this. So, like, how how has your role changed and what have you been like? What's your day to day looking like differently to, to what it was before? Yeah. No, it's interesting for sure. Also, I do want to, before we get off, I want to go back to how we researched at some point the idea, because I think there's some interesting stuff in there, like how we approached it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. We especially for like, but so my role has changed in a very, so now there's six other people, you know, at the company that I'm like, I'm involved, like every day we do a little work log, like update in Slack. And like everybody mentions like a call with me almost every day. Like, oh, I talked to DZ about this. I don't, you know, like <laughs> I'm involved in like every little thing. Um, so like, oh, our salesperson and our success person, I'm on calls with them about marketing efforts or this customer, how we could help that or this blog post we want to put up. Um, I'm on calls with our designer about like, he's designing a new Salesforce integration. Let's like talk through that and help him, you know, structure it before we send it to the engineers. I'm spending a lot of time like shaping features, like so we can actually go build them. Uh, whereas in the past, I would just gone and built it, you know, like maybe talk about it with Benedict for half an hour, an hour, get something in my head and then go build it. Um, like I've definitely shifted my mind to like, this is another like kind of silly, um, you know, like enterprisey type word, but I've shifted into like capital allocator mode instead of indie builder mode <laughs> right so we have like the idea is like okay before i was indie builder i know it's so funny to say it but it, it's every time i say it i'm like oh there's something so official about it um but every time you know in the past be like oh i need to like build the thing or go get on this customer call to survive in the next few months or to grow like there's very one-to-one um, activities now it's well we have this money in the bank how do we make bets with that money that will pay off over the next two years to create growth that will allow us to keep surviving and growing so that way our team can um, you know grow their salaries so we can hire more people to help us keep doing better work that will you know all of our stock gets more valuable etc so you're more like a puppet master now if if capital (laughs) allocator sounds too formal yeah puppet masters so horrible <laughs> that's even worse yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it is an interesting thing of like you know in the past you know okay i'm gonna try 500 worth of ads and maybe ads aren't the right call but you're like i want to i don't know if ads would work like it's risky it's scary to spend that money because it's your money now it's like well let's try five thousand dollars worth of ads you know it's like and <laughs> and but like you can learn it's a it's an okay bet because in the you know if you're doing it smart and you have parameters around what you expect you're like well that's i can learn is five thousand dollars worth learning because if it works that turns into 50 grand and if it doesn't work i'm out five grand okay and you don't want to do that a million times but you if you're very structured with it you can be more you know okay like we hired we're working with a content marketing firm right now because it's very exhausting as every indie bootstrapper knows like to create articles and content and yep. hard to do it on a repetitive cycle and it was like very hard to go through that transition personally and to say well we can blog like we know this stuff we have a, we hired some people and it's like well these people are better at it they know seo strategy they we know people that worked with them like we trust them and like they've been you know putting together great stuff and it's only been like a month but like we're very, very happy and 
their posts will not really pay off for us for like six months. Like they're, they are a little bit now, but like the real value of what we're paying them pays off six months, one year, two years. And that's something like we can make much more medium and long-term bets now in a way that like as a bootstrapper, you just cannot do that until you hit like pretty good profitability. Yeah. And also bigger bets, as you just said, like you just spent those 5k instead of five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so small. And like, you're like, I'm not even paying myself or if I am, I'm paying myself very little. And if I make a bet on something else or I hire this writer or I hire a developer to help me build something, I, you're effectively taking money out of your own pocket when you're early on. And that's okay to make those bets, but it just feels harder. Like it's, um, and now, you know, there's a lot of ways, like this is how obviously venture funded companies overspend and they screw up and they burn a lot of money, but like we are trying to be very systematic about it and, and intentional while also giving ourselves flexibility to make, um, you know, to fail or make the wrong bets. Like we should be making wrong bets so that way we find the ones that work in an outsized way. But we have time to do that. Like we have over two years if we make zero more dollars and um, odds are we will like probably be able to break even if we don't hire anymore off of the money we have. But we'll probably, you know, like there's a lot of routes that we can go down there. And that is the mindset I'm in now as quote unquote CEO or whatever, like puppet master, as you said, Ben, like it is, <laughs> well, let me see, how do we go from here to there and what steps or decisions do we make along that route? Yeah. Yeah. I can see how it gives you a lot of leverage. Like, like you said, like capital is like a tool where, you know, when you have capital that you can play around with, um, you can make bets where not every bet, almost like the kind of like ventures model, like you, not all your bets have to work out, but if you have one or two that do in a big way, it's like, it, it makes up for everything else where, you know, the bootstrapper, like they, they don't even have the, the capital to kind of play around with that. And, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not, they don't have the, the leverage to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's a cool way to, to think of it. Um, so yeah, and it I think like in the same, well, the same side of that, you're totally right. Like. The other thing is we are building, like we're building a car, building machine, right? Like Arrows is a machine and there's a engineering function, there's a product function, there's marketing sales functions, like, and if we get any two or three of those things like working and good, like, like we are making a few of those bets at the time, but if the product is working in a way that customers really want it, or it's just something very unique and very cool to the market, even if it's not like gangbusters selling it, or if we have a very repeatable you know, sales pipeline and marketing pipeline where people are clearly coming. If we've built it like two or three of those sort of functionalities, like as a machine of arrows, the business starts like kind of growing at a very repeatable, nice rate. And then we could get more funding or we could say, no, we're good. Like that's like what we are trying to figure out right now is how do we learn and test and iterate towards like building the machine of arrows over the next two years. So that way it is functioning or some parts of it are functioning pretty well but not all of it have to be functioning well that is the part that like the other thing that's not working was what we'll figure out after the first two you know kind of core pieces start working yeah well cool thanks for sharing all that uh with us yeah let's jump back to the what you want to talk about with the the research stuff like how you guys went about yeah that. so i think it's just really interesting because my perspective changed so much that i like sometimes forget how I approached ideas before because um, it's become so like comfortable now, which is, and we're trying to even go back to this with how we approach like building new versions of arrows now. But we went out and just talked to customers and we said, 
like we went through the mental process of, okay, I'm not going to ask anybody like what their problems are or anything like that. I'm going to like think about the customer type I want to serve and what function or what kind of part of their job I care about. And so we, we think of everything as like, like, um, an assembly line, like all work is like an assembly line, like everything or a series of pipes, like it's plumbing. So every action like has a before and after step in a series of those. So we basically said like, okay, a customer comes into your business, like tell us how that happens. Walk us through every step in the craziest detail from when a customer comes in, like what, what do they fill out a form? Do they book a demo? What tool does that go into? Oh, you use Salesforce or reform or whatever, you know, like, okay, then what happens there? How do you know that that customer booked a demo? Okay. How do you do the demo? What do you do on the demo? And then we went through every little step, you know, what, what email do you send to follow up? Oh, they became a customer. How do you convert them to a customer? And we literally just like wrote that down across, like, as if we could just like write out like the series of pipes that a customer went through their business. And we just saw and heard what people actually do. And that like that gets into that mom test stuff of like, what do you do? And if you do it, then I can build something that makes it better or that replaces some number of those steps. But there has to be an input and an output. So if I build arrows, arrows is not its own little island. It's actually, you know, something that fits into an existing process somewhere. So it needs to fit into that process and have some connective tissue on either end. And so we basically just like did that across a ton of companies until we saw all these onboarding spreadsheets and Trello's and they're all different. But if we'd asked a lot of those companies, if like, you know, what's a big pain point, they might not have said, some of them might've said onboarding, some did, but like a lot of them wouldn't have. But as soon as we started asking them and div- diving into it, they saw it. And then we saw, we heard like the different uh, specific bits of pain around that. And then as we saw the onboarding piece more, then we dove into that, like we kind of narrowed our scope, but doing that consistently really helped us. And we also had a notion doc that was just like, before every call, it's like, what are the top three things that we want to learn on this? And then what are the three things that we think will disprove like our idea here? So we need to like learn, like, this is a big problem, but maybe nobody in this role will ever pay money for it. So we had to like consistently disprove like, well, would you pay money? How would you pay money? Like, okay, if you did want to go buy this, would you ever pull out your own credit card for this? Or would you go to your boss? And like, we started diving into all those things. And we talked for like, three or four months to people until we wrote a line of code. Like I made mock-ups and we showed those to people, but only after we like really learned a lot about like how they think about it and how they approach it. And then like how they would go through the buying process. And then like, even then, like, God, we're still learning and we've changed over that time. Like a year later, we still like change how we message it and how we talk about it. But like without doing that, I think we would have built a very different product and one that would have been a lot less enticing. And we're still like have a lot more to learn and figure out, but it would have been a lot harder. I think if we hadn't gone through that process. Yeah. That's super interesting because you, you just did it so systematic and it probably gets easier now as you already have some folks that you can reach out to and you can just, you know, just continue doing that basically as intense or not as you want to. Yeah. Like we could go to our customers and say like, okay, now how do you walk me through how you do quarterly reviews with your customers? Like, do what email do you send? Like, show me the email you send. And we saw like, oh, you have these bullet points. Okay, that's interesting. Like, those could be in software. You know, like there's all these things. Yeah, that we, yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah, like, you, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking like that process that like you're talking about that you went through. Like it's it's such a grueling process. And I and I feel like, uh, you know, it takes so much time because the, the, 
basically you have to be patient. Like you have to be patient to let let yourself like see their process and see how they solve problems and stuff. Because I feel like what we like to do is just like force it down people's throat. Like, oh, this is my idea. It's amazing. Here it is. And like, does this we, make we sense to you? Like, yeah, we just like want to skip all those steps and just start building it and like be like, yeah, we have the best uh, idea and product to solve all your problems. But it's like. Hmm. Yeah, it's like just being patient to get through those points of just like actually doing the learning because um, I've tried to do that before and um, it's it's just, it is hard. I mean, um, Potion's so a great example. People like myself, you know, that's how we talked originally, know it like create a Notion doc as like a landing page, put a C name on it or like a redirect and like you do, you, you do the thing and then you have, while doing it, you wish it worked a different way and you wish you had other features and like other mm -hmm. capabilities but seeing that people are already doing it, like right now, somebody emailed me the other day and it's like a customer of ours. And they're like, I wish, you know, does Arrows have this feature? And it was like a really interesting feature. And it was like a thing that they wanted to send a report from like the work that they did in Arrows to their customer. And it's something I've thought about before and I really want us to do. But there's no reason for us to drop what we're doing now to go build it because until she goes and builds it herself <laughs> like and I, she was like if you don't have it i might go build it myself and i was like told one of our team members i'm gonna see if she goes like well she's like use our api maybe and like spit out a report i was like if she builds it herself then like that's a really good signal and if it's interesting and valuable but if she's not gonna go like do the effort herself then it's um very hard for us to imagine spending our engineering time to build it for everybody because if they're not doing it either then how much do they really want it if there's not a handful of people who are really doing the manual work? So we do have like, you know, some customers who send an internal report, they go look at arrows and they go send it to their team. Like, here's where everybody's at. And they say, like, okay, well, we should make a better weekly report that like goes out to the whole team. Like if somebody's doing that manually, that means like there's value to that. And so I think we tried to do that from the start and now we're trying to do it at a larger, like a larger scale as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, do we have any any uh, wrapping thoughts um, that we should end with? Or this has been good, good, Daniel. Um, yeah, this is fun. I've, I've definitely learned a lot. Um, yeah, just hearing about what, what you've been up to. Um, so very cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, this to me is fun. It's fun to talk about this because my thinking on a lot of it has changed over the years, and especially in the last two years on this, and in the last six months, like, and it's been harder being on this side of it in a lot of ways like it's it's easier because i have a salary and you know we can run for a while but it's harder um like it's more it's more like sustained running instead of like being tired all the time um but it's been a lot of fun and so i think just getting out of the like combative or like i don't know here's what my emotional side of me is telling me about this thing like building products or taking funding or whatever and just more thinking about like well what's right for me and my business and really like what's right for my business and should i be the one building it this way and or not you know is this right like i think a lot of us don't necessarily think about the products that fit who we want or the type of business we want to build too like we try to come up with good ideas and there's a lot of good ideas that maybe just are misapplied and so i think yeah. we just there's skills to all of this and i think we can you know we all like deserve getting better at it together yeah for sure. Well, thank you for coming on and, and listeners, uh, we'll put, uh, Daniel's podcast, keep going in the show notes and you can check out arrows. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on and this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks guys.
All right, bye.